You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Well, I've been out of town the last few weeks, and so um, showing up this morning, I was kind of shocked to see the Project One Runway um, thing. So I'll do my best to kind of interact um, this morning. I'm talking about something that's kind of sensitive to some people and controversial to some people. I'm talking about Casino Royale. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm talking about prayer, and I feel like before, we, before I get going, I, I really am passionate about this topic. It's kind of been something that's in, been in my life that's really changed the way I see God and see my role as a Christian. And I know that there are people, even during worship, I thought the Lord was saying this. This wasn't planned, but I feel like many of us, when it comes to this topic of prayer, just kind of check out because we've been, uh, there's a scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's in Proverbs. And I feel like many of us have had prayers gone unanswered. All of us have. I mean, all of us have. But specifically, some of us are very wounded from this topic. I'm talking about prayer. And I'm going to get very excited and passionate about this. And some of us are just don't feel it. We don't feel excited about praying because God hasn't answered the prayers we've prayed. Or we prayed for someone to be healed and it didn't happen. We watched a, f- a member of our family die or a friend get sick. And I feel like before I get going, I just want to pray for you and ask the Lord to, to open our eyes to the to beauty of prayer, but more, more so that you could understand and feel the Father's love for you in that place of hope deferred, in that place of prayers that are unanswered. And I don't have, I don't have the answers to why, why God does certain things and doesn't answer certain prayers, but I know he feels what we feel. I know he's with us and he is by his spirit, able to comfort us and heal us. So let me pray before we get started on this topic of prayer. God, I pray this morning that you would awaken hunger for intimacy and prayer and intercession, Lord. But I pray too, Lord, for folks this morning, before we even get started, that you would touch them, God, who have gone before you so many times and prayed so many ways and asked you to, to move and they've not seen an answer. They've not seen their desires fulfilled. And Lord, I just pray for them, God. I pray you would not let them feel condemned or feel less than by this talk and that they would feel like they can approach you with confidence and boldness and that you're still moved in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, prayer is a huge topic. I'm I'm not talking about just general prayer. I'm talking about more specifically intercession. And what intercession is, is basically the praying for something. It's basically the idea, literally, it means to stand in the gap. So an attorney, for example, represents a client, and he is standing before a judge, and he is interceding on behalf of that client for their cause. So when we intercede, we are standing before God on behalf of a person or a church or a country or whatever it is. We are interceding on behalf of that thing. Uh, Dick Eastman, a big guy in, in the area of prayer, he writes, to intercede is to, is to mediate. It's to stand between a lost being and an almighty God, praying that this person will come to know about God and his salvation. To intercede is to mediate. In recent years, in the last 20 to 30 years, this, this thing, intercession, I'm just going to say a prayer because it's hard to say intercession. I'm going to say prayer. So when I say prayer, I just realize I'm talking about intercession. This has been renewed across the earth in unprecedented ways. God has moved people, especially in the third world and the second world, to, to prayer in a way that's never happened before in history. There are millions of people praying. And 
It's happening for a reason. God is restoring intimacy and expectancy in him, the first commandment. And in Asia especially, there's this movement of prayer over the past 20 years. In South Korea, the largest church in the world, in Seoul, Seoul South Korea, there's over 200,000 members of this church, if you can imagine that, a church of 200,000 members. They have prayer meetings at 4.30 in the morning with between 10 and 20,000 people every morning, 4.30 every morning. There's a picture I wanted to show you that, that this is a picture of one of their prayer meetings, over 1 million people in South Korea praying. Incredible. Unprecedented. This is another meeting they had in a stadium. should be a football stadium or soccer stadium right there. And they're having a prayer meeting. I mean, could you imagine that? They're not there to hear a dynamic speaker. They're not there to, to get to some flashy light show. They're there to pray and seek God for their country, to seek God for their church, to seek God for the families. And another picture is another meeting down in Brazil, which was the largest Christian gathering in history at that time, about 10 years ago. 1.5 million people gathering to pray. So God is doing something. In China, for example, we see we've heard stories of people coming to Christ in mass numbers. I mean, between half a million to a million a month is the estimate. So it's hard to fathom, hard to believe that. There are 10,000 churches in China underground right now in hiding, so to speak, that have 24-hour-a-day prayer going on. Missiologists have studied it, estimated that. There are 10,000 churches that have prayer, that just in their, in their home or in their business where they're having the church meetings, they have it going on all the time, intercession, praying for their nation. And, that's, and it's fueling whatever's happening in China. In Europe, there's a 24-7 prayer movement led by a guy named Pete Gregg. There are over 1,000 um, different churches or meeting houses that have this thing called 24-7 where they get together, kind of like we do with um, motion, they get together, they pray, and then they go out in the streets and they share the gospel and they pray for people's healing and needs on the streets. And here in the United States, a movement called IHOP, the International House of Prayer, not the uh, pancake place, um, they have a ministry in Kansas City with 3,000 staff, 3,000, 6,000 students in their school of ministry, and they pray 24 hours a day. They've been going on for 13 years. 13 years has been going on. They have 3,000 staff. You can go online and watch the web stream any time of day. They're, they have worship and prayer going on all the time. So God is doing something that is unique. And it's, it's like this unified thing. He's calling people, calling churches, individuals, to this expectancy in prayer. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. I think, I think for many of us, it's kind of a foreign thing because we've thought of prayer in a certain way. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. The great intercessor, though, is Jesus. He's described as an intercessor in the Bible. And he's really the first intercessor. Um, Isaiah 53 says this, Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. He stood in the gap between God and us, and he paid the price as the mediator between us and God. Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is, is currently at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. It's, it's, it's hard to fathom what that looks like. What is, Jesus is at the right hand of God, which means he's at the power of God. He has the authority of God at the right hand of God. And he hears the prayers that we pray to him. And he almost says, Father, let's do this. I, I mean, this is just my, my guess. But, but it's somehow he's interceding for us right now at the right hand of God. And this scripture I kind of found, I never, never heard this reference before. It's from the book of Job, and Job is considered the oldest book in the Bible. It's the Hebrew uh, grammatical structure, the, the terms used for God are the oldest Hebrew 
terms. So they say, they say that Job is the oldest term or oldest book in the Bible. And this is what Job says. After he's lost everything, he's lost his business, he's lost his kids, he's lost his health. He says, Job 16, 19, even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. That was just part of it up there. I'll read it again, though. It's such an amazing verse. I mean, I've never noticed this verse before. I kind of just found it reading Job. He says, my intercessor, Job has a revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is crazy. This is thousands of years before Jesus, and he has a revelation of Jesus Christ, and he says, my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God, praying on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as a friend pleads. Jesus Christ is the intercessor. He's the model for what we're doing. When we come before God in prayer, we are standing with Jesus, and we're standing in the power of Jesus. Throughout history, there's been many moves of God. Many powerful things have happened. There's been revivals in America, the First and Second Great Awakenings, uh, the revival on Azusa Street that happened about 100 years ago. All these moves of God, if you were to study them, you would see that intercession preceded and was part of those moves. Charles Finney was the leader of the Second Great Awakening where over half a million people came to Christ in the Northeast mainly in the late or mid-1800s, early 1800s. And he had two people that he considered um, intercessors that he would send ahead of him into those cities before he got there. And they would go two weeks ahead of time. And they have no recognition throughout history. They're not, they're not big names. They're just people that would go, these two guys. One was named... Uh, Abel Clary, and then Daniel Nash. Never heard of them. But they went and they prayed two weeks ahead of time before he got there for his huge mega conferences. And they would pray for weeks before he got there, all day long. And they, they, they prayed that the ground would be fertile for him to come and speak. And Charles Finney saw, saw results that have never been seen since in, in, in the ways of people coming to Christ in, in meetings like that. So God uses prayer. And what I think is the challenge is in my life, I have always, not always, but I've usually thought prayer is mostly for me. You know, I, I just want to confess my sin. I want to release the burdens of my life, which is true. That's good. I want to, you know, feel God's love. But the idea that I could actually influence God is pretty, maybe, maybe offensive or shocking. The, the idea that I could actually move God's heart to action I mean, when, when we pray, are we expecting to do something, God to do something? Uh, John Piper said it this way, or he says this. Let me just read real fast. Whenever God aims to do a great work, the first thing he harnesses is the power of prayer. He starts by planting the spark of desire in a few hearts. Then through intercession, he fans it into flame, and soon large numbers of people are on their knees imploring the great work. Then he acts. He pours down his blessing. God loves to do great works of redemption. But even more, he loves to do it in answer to prayer. For those of us who think theologically, which I, I try to do, it seems a little interesting to think, if God is sovereign, how do my prayers affect him if he's going to do what he's going to do? And my answer to that would be, God never ordains, or God rarely ordains, I don't want to say never, it's kind of a, Drastic term. God rarely ordains, for the people who, who need to hear this, um, the ends 
without ordaining the means. In other words, ordain means that he decrees or he, had, he plans or he purposes the ends without ordaining the means. So you coming to Jesus may have been ordained by God for sure. And the means was someone praying for you. Or the means was someone telling you about Jesus, inviting you to church, or inviting you to a young life camp, or inviting you to a, a meeting. That was the means. And God doesn't ordain the ends without the means. And the means is prayer. The means is prayer. Piper also says it this way. He says, prayer, I'm using Piper a lot because I know he's a big sovereignty of God guy, so I'm trying to use, use him to back me up here. Um, prayer is a human act that God has ordained, in which he delights in because it reflects the dependence of his creatures upon him. He has promised to respond in prayer. Here it is. And his response is just as contingent upon our prayers as our prayer is in accordance with his will. His response is just as contingent. So God is moved by us, by his children. It's an amazing thought to think that we have a father who loves us. We have a father that, is, that enjoys us. That in Christ, we have everything purchased. We have access to God. We can't earn anything else. We're in, so to speak, his affection, his grace. But yet, he wants us to strive in prayer. Interesting. And we're striving not for his love necessarily or not for his, his mercy or grace. We've already got that. But we're striving on behalf of what he's purchased for others and for our families and for our churches and for our nation. We are called to enter into our identity as sons and daughters of the king and to take hold of that authority in prayer and to strive for what he, what he wants. And the Spirit comes alongside of us and teaches us how to pray as we pray. In Acts chapter 1, I want to look at basically a narrative, a, a story of the pouring out of the Spirit, the, the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 1 and 2, is when... Pentecost, we all know the story, basically the, the power of God fell in chapter 2 and the church is born. People come to Christ, people get filled with the Spirit, they pray in tongues, miracles, all that stuff's happening. But rarely do we see this first verse or this verse in chapter 1 that says they all join together constantly in prayer along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with their brothers. It's an easy verse to miss, but they, are, they were all joined together constantly in prayer and then you skip to chapter 2 and you see this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's part of their life. It was natural. It was the normal thing. And I think for too long in, in, in my existence, in my experience in America, the church in America, we've, we've trusted in many things other than prayer. We've trusted in our buildings. We've trusted in our dynamic speakers who are smart and intelligent and dynamic. We've trusted, we've trusted in programs and we've trusted in certain models of ministry. None of those are bad. None of those are bad. But we haven't trusted in God to be the fuel, God to be the impetus for all those things to, to work. And so the church has been declining continually. Young people have, as much money as we've spent to reach young people over the past 20 years, I work with Young Life. I mean, we've spent millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to reach young people. Campus Crusade, University, YWAM, Young Life, the churches. We've got youth pastors now coming out of Wazoo in the churches. I mean, we spent money, tons of money. And yet, 4% of teenagers know Christ now. 4%. It's lowest ever recorded. 4%. Why is that? Because we don't need more ideas. We need the presence of God. We need God. Programs aren't bad. We need God to fuel those programs. And God is moved by prayer. God is moved by people because prayer is the expression 
of ultimate humility and dependency. That's what it is. There's no other action really that, that illustrates desperation. I have no answer, God. I'm coming to you, Lord. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the solution. I don't. And God is moved by that. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And prayer is the expression. Intercession is the expression of humility. That's what it is. There's no other way to look at it. I mean, it's just we come to him saying, I'm out of ideas. The, the model hasn't worked. Nothing's worked. So Lord, help. I'm praying for my family, my, my city, my church, so on and so forth. In my life, I discovered this, um, this thing called intercession. I read a book by Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, about 15 years ago. It's been that long. Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. But um, I read this book. He was the founder of Campus Crusade. He's, he's, he passed away now. It was a book called The Coming Revival. In this book, he talks about prayer and fasting and this idea of the power of prayer. And I remember seeing him when I was in seminary. He was, on his 30, he was, he was fasting at the time. And he was on his 38th day. He was almost, he was, I think he was in the 70s, and he was fasting 38 days. It was crazy. And this old man, he said, I've never in my life experienced God the way I've experienced God, this, this, this time of prayer and fasting. I've sought God, and my whole life, I have never discovered this until now. And he talked about the beauty of prayer and intimacy and, and this idea of seeking God. And he said, I've never discovered that. And he began weeping. This, this old man that had, been, that had affected literally billions of people around the earth. He's, he has he's been part of sharing the gospel through his ministry of Campus Crusade. And I read this book, and I thought, I'm going to do this, okay? I'm on Young Life staff, and my kids, are going to, my kids are all going to camp, and they need Jesus really bad. And there's like 40 kids. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord intentionally, several hours a day. I mean, I'm not trying to sound religious or boastful, but I, I just said, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to put it into practice. So I read, I read the book, obviously, and I started praying for about two weeks. I did it concertedly for, for those two weeks. We went to camp the next month or whatever. And I'll never forget this. The, it was a night of the talk where the kids go out and they have a chance to respond to Jesus' uh, message of, uh, of grace and the gospel. And I'm in the, I'm in the cabin with where, we stayed, where we slept and everything. And I'm with, actually with Tom Rossi. And I'm, I'm sitting there in the cabin and I, we said, well, let's pray for the kids. And I began praying. Tom doesn't remember this at all, but the presence of God, which I never really had felt before this moment, hit me. Like I began, I had to lay on the ground. That's all I could do. I feel like the heaviness was, was, was on me. And I was, just, I was a 22-year-old, 23-year-old. And, and I, I began praying these prayers that were not my prayers. I felt like the Lord was just praying. The Spirit was praying through me. And they felt like they had a different kind of power. I don't know how to explain it. But I sought God those two weeks, and I felt like God was saying, I'm hearing your prayers. I'm giving you my prayers now. And I got up from the time of 20 minutes. I felt a little queasy or whatever. And I walked outside the cabin, and there was this guy, Travis. And he was one of the kids, one of the, rough, one of the rougher kids. He said, Brian, would you, uh, would you pray for me and, and just my family? I think I want to you know, accept Jesus or whatever. So I took him aside. I was like, yeah, let's pray, man. And we prayed. And we're sitting down, and he, he got on his knees. And this doesn't happen in young life very much. He, gets on, he got on his knees. And I was like, I was like this, is, this is weird. So I'm praying for him. I was just, just praying. Again, I didn't even know what I was praying. I was just praying. And I hear this noise around me, and I'm praying with Travis, and he's clearly being touched by, by the Lord. And I finish the prayer, and I look up, and there's about 15 or 20 kids all around me on their knees. It was crazy. And from what I remember on that trip, every single kid made commitments to Christ that year. Some are here today, actually. 
And the Lord was like, Brian, if you only knew my heart for those kids, more than yours. And that's what prayer does. Prayer connects us to the heart of God for whatever the issue is. Your, your family, your church, your young life kids, your, your, your boss. It, he, he moves us when we seek him in humility and brokenness. And he connects us to his feelings. And it actually affects him. Second Chronicles says this. This is an amazing promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. It's an amazing thing, folks. I, I want to stir up a heart for prayer. And this church believes in prayer. We offer prayer meetings. We, we have a 24-hour prayer coming up in two weeks. Every Monday, Martha has a prayer, a prayer meeting on, uh, here at the youth room, 1130 to 1230. And they are praying, and they are believing. They're not just praying to release things and, 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 and ask for forgiveness. They're praying because they believe God is going to do something. And they believe with expectancy. And there's also Ignite, which is, which is every two weeks at midnight, from midnight to 6 o'clock in the morning. It was last night. I wasn't there, but it's, uh, it's not for the lighthearted. It's from midnight to 6 in the morning, and it's an, it's an awesome prayer service. And if you want to go during the day, there's an IHOP downtown in San Marco. You can go to the IHOP. There's a prayer ministry that they have right there from, from 4 in the afternoon till 10 o'clock at night. Every day, they pray nonstop with worship and music, and you can walk in there and experience it. The model that I try to... I don't want to say there's some legalistic model here. I don't want to be prescriptive in saying that there's like the way you should do it or how long you should do it because I feel like that's, that's getting in, in, in some kind of religious spirit. I want to say that there's grace for us. There's grace in this area. But the way I've thought about it in the past is inward, outward, and beyond. In other words, this idea that I'm going to pray inwardly for the things most immediate to me, my family, myself, my, my, uh, my job, or whatever it is, inward. Inward things, that makes that make sense to us. Outward, the things that are around us, our church, our city, our whatever that is, outward, outward things that we know that are around us, and then beyond, our country, the world, what just happened in the Philippines with a, with a hurricane. God cares about us praying for those things. God cares about the gospel being shared in China and us praying for that. God cares about us praying for tragedies that happen every, every night, it seems like, on the, on, the, on the news, it seems like. And, and, and God wants us to engage with his heart in praying for those things, inward, outward, and beyond. It's a simple model. There's no, there's no, this isn't like, you know, from, from the Bible. It's just something I thought of. But it helps me to kind of focus on what, uh, what I want to pray about. Andrew Murray says it this way. He was a great prayer warrior from the uh, 1800s in South Africa. And he said, each time before you intercede, be quiet first. Worship the Lord, or worship God in his glory. And think of what he can do, how he delights to hear your prayers, hear the prayers of redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. It's a great, it's a great quote. I feel like if we approach prayer, if we said, God, you really want to hear from me and you really are moved by me, it would change the dynamic of, of, of wanting to do it or not wanting to do it. And if we understand our identity, we've talked about this so much at our church, and I love that we know who we are. We are free, we are forgiven, we are accepted, and we're not striving for something like his love or we're not striving for something like his acceptance. We are in, we are exercising our 
power through humility to pray and seek his face. And we can expect God to answer. I wanted to pray about something that maybe a little bit, it's kind of a shift here in my, my talk. I'm still debating whether or not to do it. Um, but this, this, thing, this thing I want to pray about, I actually want to intercede right now. But I'm trying to decide if I should do this or not, but I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, man. So, there is a, I believe God cares about social issues. Let me say that. And there is an issue that all of us can probably agree upon that is truly wicked in our time. It's truly evil. It is, it is um, happening right inside our city. It's happening inside our country. And it's, and it's human trafficking. And all of us would say this is something that we, 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 we want to see stopped. We want to see change. We want to see God intervene and, and bring justice. Um, it's a, it's, a social, it's a social evil. I mean, basically, it's the second largest criminal industry in the world now. Second largest. It's surpassed illegal arms trade. It's only, it's only second now to drug uh, trafficking. Human trafficking. It's the buying and selling of women and children for the purpose, purpose of sexual exploitation as well as labor exploitation. That's what it is. Between 27 and 50 million is the estimated number of people that are being trafficked. That's more than the African slave trade in the 1700s. There are more slaves right now than any time in human history. In this church, we support, we love to, to support ministries that, that deal with this. We rethreaded and uh, is, a, is a blessing to our church, and we want to be behind that. And that's a practical way we can say that we are engaging this issue. But we need God in a greater way. Because I, I, when I think about this issue, it's so huge that there's no answer. Again, there's no program. We need God to bring justice. We need God to expose the darkness. We need God to change legislation in our country so that that the guilty will be punished in harsher ways to be deterrent. If a man, put a different way, if a man who goes and sees a prostitute was given a harsher penalty for doing so, it would be a much greater deterrent. In Sweden, prostitution, the man, is punished in a greatly more drastic way to where he is, he'll lose his job, he'll, he'll lose his reputation. And in our country, it's a slap on the hand. It's a slap on the hand. It's, that's all it is. It's not even a big deal. You, you, it's, not, it's not even a huge deal. So if we change legislation in our country to, to really punish, to punish not the, the woman who is being trafficked and, and prostituting themselves, but the men, it's gonna, it would simply change, not overnight, but in a matter of months, I, I would say. Anyway, I want to pray about this. And I believe prayer is the answer. Prayer is what fuels this. We need practical ministries. We need practical organizations that stand against this. Um, for example, just, I mean, just praying this past year, I, I live in San Marco, and there was, a, there's a, there was a strip club that was just down Atlantic, like right across from a church and a school. And my wife and I began praying, just, Lord, would you bring down this place of, uh, you know, of, uh, of darkness? And we began praying this. And I remember mentioning this like last Fall or last spring when I taught I taught the um, um, foundations class and I mentioned this and I, and I was like God I want you to do something and so just two months ago there's an article in the San Marco uh, Review paper whatever it's called and the article says this it says dollhouse demolished divine intervention or eminent domain basically they were talking about that they are building the new highway and they had to decide how far down the road to go and they decided they would go a little further and and remove the dollhouse. It was the last piece of property that they bought, 
and they tore it down. And there were these two nuns from the Catholic Church that were going over there and praying. And they talk about these two nuns in the article that were, they were praying for the stri- destruction of this, of this strip club. God answers prayers, folks, and he does it through practical things like eminent domain. <laughs> it's true. It's not there anymore. So I want to pray, and I want to join wherever two or three are gathered, there's power, and I want to pray right now for this issue. I want to just, just, just that we could be quiet and that we, we would engage our hearts and expect God to do things, whatever that, wherever that may be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your great love for us, God, that we could approach you, as Paul says, with boldness and with humility as your children, not as orphans, not as beggars, but as sons and daughters. And so, God, we come before you now with this issue that is way beyond our comprehension, way beyond our influence. And we say, Lord, help. God, would you help in this area, this, this, this issue of human trafficking, the buying and selling of women and children, slavery in our day, here in Jacksonville, God. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you, Father, would pour out justice, God. You'd expose industries, businesses, individuals that are supporting this organization of crime in our city, that you'd expose them and bring them, bring them to justice, Lord. We pray, God, you would bring legislation that would, that would bring justice again, Lord, to those who are supporting this industry. And Lord, I just confess right now, I feel led to say this, God, I confess the lust in my own heart. And that lust is the reason there's human trafficking right now, God. It's because there's lust in men's hearts. And God, I just ask for forgiveness. And on behalf of our church, we say we want to be people of purity. We want to be people and men and women of purity. And we want to see women as your daughters, not as objects. We want to see them as our sisters. And so, God, I pray you, Father, would forgive us and we turn, with, we turn from agreeing with this spirit of lust that is the fuel for this whole industry. And we say, Father, forgive us, set us free, and bring justice. We pray for favor on rethreaded. We pray that you'd bless Kristen, Lord, and that you would move her to greater favor in our community and success. We thank you, Lord, for the power of prayer We thank you, Lord, that you're moved by prayer. And I pray you'd even give us some results, God. Even tonight, God, shock us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.